afternoon to say a few words about the uh, immigration reform bill. And as the son of an immigrant, somebody who came to this country at the age of 17 without a nickel in his pocket, needless to say, I support immigration. Uh, our country is unique in the world. Our country is great because, in fact, we are the sons and daughters of immigrants. And I think we should all be very proud of that. God bless America. I was a youth when I arrived. Everything was bigger then, and it had a better shine. I was only 10. Even the home that we was in was just a glimpse of the prosperity America gives. Allah bless it, because this country gave me so much. But most importantly, it gave me a chance to grow up. Gave me a voice that mattered, and the choice to use it. Told me I'd be anything, and gave me chances to prove it. I wouldn't be who I am if that open door had closed. I'm so thankful there's no hatred where all my hopes have grown Without the opportunity here to shape my life I'd be living where at any given they could take my rights Burn Today is a tragic day for humanity For the people of the United States For the future of our planet And for the children 30,000 of whom in the third world Will starve to death today While we spend billions to wage this war It is incumbent upon us God bless America, but there's people out to take advantage They paint the world to be savage, just to invade against the masses It's just reckless, despite all positive efforts Some people are just too far gone to get the message We gotta cease, it's not myth, even the strong can have peace Lives can't be risked just to take the foreign land streets Or resources, or to eat off them And stop blaming language barriers for our somewhat morbid precautions It's a fracture, not completely broken some minds are closed and some minds are completely open But I've seen a plan and I see a man And I see a reason to stand behind him and help him go out and do what he can we Feel the burn large numbers of lives that have been destroyed And that was Bernie Sanders' Feel the Burn Which you can find on YouTube by searching for FDA Music Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. If you want to check out back episodes or check out some links that I've collected, you can find more on Bernie-2016.com. First up is a message from Bernie Sanders, and this is a message that he wrote to me. Well, he didn't write it just to me. He wrote this message to many of his followers, probably the majority of his email list, got this message from Bernie. I'm writing you today to express my deep pride in the movement, the political revolution, you and I have created together over the last 15 months. When we began this historic campaign, we were considered fringe players by the political 
economic, and media establishment. Well, we proved them wrong. We showed that American people support a bold, progressive agenda that takes on the billionaire class, that fights for racial, social, economic, and environmental justice, and that seeks to create a government that works for all of us and not just the big campaign donors. We mobilized over 13 million voters across the country. We won 23 Democratic primary and caucus contests. We had literally hundreds of thousands of volunteers across the country. And we showed, in a way that can change politics in America forever, that you can run a competitive national grassroots campaign without begging millionaires and billionaires for campaign contributions. Most importantly, we elevated the critical issues facing our country, issues the establishment has pushed under the rug for too long. We focused attention on the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality in this country and the importance of breaking up the large banks who brought our economy to the brink of collapse. We exposed our horrendous trade policies, our broken criminal justice system, and our people's lack of access to affordable health care and higher education. We fought aggressively to address the crisis of climate change, the need for real comprehensive immigration reform, the importance of developing a foreign policy that values, that values diplomacy over war, and so much more. We have shown throughout this election that these are issues that are important to voters and that progressive solutions energize people in the fight for real change. What we've accomplished so far is historic, but our work is far from over. This movement of ours, this political revolution, must continue. We cannot let all of the momentum we have achieved in the fight to transform America be lost. We will never stop fighting for what is right. It is true that in terms of winning the Democratic nomination, we did come up short. But this election was never about me or any candidate. It was about the powerful coming together of millions of people to take their country back from the billionaire class. That was the strength of our campaign, and it will be the strength of our movement going forward in the months and years ahead. In the coming weeks, I'll be announcing the creation of successor, successor organizations to carry on the struggle that we have been a part of these past 15 months. I hope you will continue to be involved in fighting to transform America. Our goal will be to advance the progressive agenda that we believe in and to elect like-minded candidates at the federal, state, and local levels who are committed to accomplishing our goals. In terms of the presidential election this November, there is no doubt that the election of Donald Trump as president would be devastating would be a devastating blow to all that we are fighting for. His openly bigoted and pro-billionaire campaign could precipitate the same decades-long rightward shift in American politics that happened after the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980. That rightward shift after Reagan's election infected not just politics as a whole, but led to the ascendancy, ascendancy of the corporatist wing of the Democratic Party, an era from which we are still recovering. I cannot in good conscience let that happen. To have all of the work we have done in elevating our progressive ideals be dashed away by a 
complete Republican takeover of Washington, a takeover headed by a candidate that demonizes Latinos, Muslims, women, African Americans, veterans, and others, would be unthinkable. Today I endorsed Hillary Clinton to be our next president. I know that some of you will be disappointed with that decision. But I believe that at this moment, our country, our values, and our common vision for a transformed America are best served by the defeat of Donald Trump and the election of Hillary Clinton. You should know that in the weeks since the last primary, both campaigns have worked together in good faith to bridge some of the policy issues that divided us during the election. Did we come to agreement on everything? Of course not. But we made important steps forward. Hillary Clinton released a debt-free college plan that we developed together, which now includes free tuition at public colleges and universities for working families. This was a major part of our campaign's agenda, and a proposal that, if enacted into law, would revolutionize higher education in this country. Secretary Clinton has also publicly committed to massive investments in health care for communities across this country, that will increase primary care, including mental health care, dental care, and low-cost prescription drug access for an additional 25 million people. Importantly, she has also endorsed the enactment of a so-called public option to allow everyone in this country to participate in a public insurance program. This idea was killed by the insurance industry during consideration of President Obama's health care program. During the Democratic platform proceedings in St. Louis and Orlando, we were victorious in including amendments to make it a clear priority of the Democratic Party to fight for a $15 an hour federal minimum wage, expand Social Security, abolish the death penalty, put a price on carbon, establish a path towards the legalization of marijuana, enact major criminal justice reforms, pass comprehensive immigration reform, end for-profit prisons and detention facilities, break up too-big-to-fail banks, and create a 21st century Glass-Steagall Act, close loopholes that allow big companies to avoid taxes by stashing their cash in offshore tax havens, and use that revenue to rebuild America, approve the most expansive agenda ever for protecting Native American rights, and so much more. All of these progressive policies were at the heart of our campaign. The truth is, our movement is responsible for the most progressive democratic platform in the history of the Democratic Party. But none of these initiatives will happen if we do not elect a Democratic president in November. None. In fact, we will go backward. We must elect a Democratic, the Democratic nominee in November and progressive Democrats up and down the ballot so that we ensure that these policy commitments can advance. It is extremely important that we keep our movement together, that we hold public officials accountable, and that we elect progressive candidates to office at the federal, state, and local level who will stand with us. As a part of that effort, we still have a tremendous amount of work left to do in the Democratic Rules Committee that we'll be meeting in the coming weeks. We have to enact the kinds of reforms to the Democratic Party and to the electoral process that will provide us the tools to elect progressive candidates, to allow new voices and new energy into the party, and to break up the excessive power that the economic and political elites in the party currently have. 
As with our fights on the platform committee, that will only be possible if we stand together. You should know that I intend to be actively campaigning throughout this election season to elect candidates who will stand by our agenda. I hope to see many of you at events from coast to coast. In conclusion, I again want to express my pride in what we have accomplished together over the last year, but so much more must be done to make our vision a reality. Now more than ever, our country needs our movement, our political revolution. As you have throughout this historic campaign, I ask for your ongoing support as we continue through the fall and beyond. And this next piece is from USA Today by Nicole Guadiano. His presidential aspirations behind him, Bernie Sanders is looking ahead to a busy future in which he continues to focus on nothing less than transforming the Democratic Party and the country. In an exclusive interview with USA Today, the Vermont Senator detailed plans to launch educational and political organizations within the next few weeks to keep his progressive movement alive. The Sanders Institute will help raise awareness of enormous crises facing Americans. The Our Revolution political organization will help recruit, train, and fund progressive candidates' campaigns. And a third political organization may play a more direct role in campaign advertising. Sanders plans to support at least 100 candidates running for a wide range of public offices, from local school boards to Congress, at least through the 2016 elections, and he'll continue to raise funds for candidates while campaigning, campaigning for them all over the country. He said he probably will campaign for Tim Canova, a progressive primary challenger to Representative Debbie, Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida, who chairs the Democratic National Committee. Quote, if we are successful, what it will mean is that progressive message and the issues that I campaigned on will be increasingly spread throughout this country, Sanders said. The goal here is to do what I think the Democratic establishment has not been very effective in doing, and that is at the grassroots level, encourage people to get involved, give them the tools they need to win, and help them financially. I want the country and the world and our people to appreciate the kind of success we've had. As part of his goal to transform the Democratic Party, Sanders said he'll continue to push for electoral forms when the party rules committee meets before the convention. He's calling for increased grassroots activism, opening up primaries to independent voters, and reforming the rules that allowed many superdelegates, the party officials and leaders who are free to vote for the candidate of their choice at each convention, to endorse Clinton early in this year's process, before Sanders became a candidate. Quote, the way to go forward is to build a progressive movement around a very progressive agenda, he said. What you're seeing is more traditional Democrats, more establishment Democrats, move in our direction because they see the support out there for our ideas. Nearly 24,000 people have signed up on Sanders' website for information about running for office or helping people run for office in response to his June 16 video address in which Sanders urged his supporters to take action. 
At subsequent events, Sanders met privately with groups of those people, talking with them in, quote, professional mode about why he originally ran for office. Sanders said Democrats' loss of about 900 state legislative seats in nearly eight years tells him a strong grassroots movement is needed to get people to run for office and to show them how, from getting on the ballot to running TV ads. Our revolution, a 501c4 political organization, will work with several progressive groups to train and vet candidates. Sanders said he wants to make sure candidates receiving such help are, in fact, progressive, but they don't have to be Democrats. Quote, if you have some strong independents who would like to run, it would be my inclination to support them, he said. He especially wants young people and working people, two of his key constituencies, to feel comfortable about getting more involved in the political process. As a progressive agenda becomes more accepted by the mainstream, he said, more elected officials will be prepared to take on big money interests and other issues he addressed in his campaign. The Sanders Institute will focus on elevating issues and ideas through media and documentaries that Sanders said the, quote, corporate media fails to focus on, including the disappearing middle class, massive income inequality, horrific levels of poverty, and problems affecting seniors and children. Quote, The campaign is coming to an end, he said, but to my mind, what is absolutely imperative is that we keep the movement alive. And this next piece is by Mohit Priyadarshi, and it is on Inquisitor.com. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders may have asked his supporters to get behind Democratic presumptive nominee Hillary Clinton, but not everyone is listening. Instead, Bernie's young supporters, who were so important to his astounding performance during the primary season, are flocking to another female presidential candidate. And her name is Jill Stein. Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton at a joint rally in Portsmouth, New Hampshire on Tuesday, saying that she is the best candidate to defeat Republican presumptive nominee Donald Trump for the White House. During his 30-minute speech at the rally, Sanders made an appeal to his supporters, some of whom have expressly refused to vote for Clinton in the past under any circumstances, to rally behind the former Secretary of State in the presidential race. While the Huffington Post reports that a host of Berniecrats are already taking his advice seriously and are indeed turning towards Hillary Clinton, it appears Bernie's millennial supporters are not at all pleased with his endorsement, having already made clear that they would not side with Donald Trump either. What option has been left to these young voters who were hoping that Sanders' entry into the presidential race would unleash a genuine political revolution. According to recent reports, Bernie Sanders' young supporters are turning to a presidential candidate who might not have a strong chance of winning against the likes of Clinton and Trump, but someone who fights for many of the same things that attracted millennials to the Vermont senator in the first place. 
Jill Stein, Green Party's probable presidential candidate, who has previously gained the moniker of Bernie's political twin because of the similarities of her political agenda with Sanders' election promises, is steadily gaining the support of these young voters. In an op-ed Stein wrote for The Hill recently, she offered a new ray of hope for the disillusioned young Sanders supporters, in effect laying out a plan B for the Bernie movement, arguing that her campaign offers a real chance at salvaging the American economy from the hands of the billionaires and Wall Street giants. She pointed out that the only remaining prospect for Democrats rooting for Bernie Sanders earlier because of his pro-people policies is to lead the Democratic Party and instead take a bold step forward. Quote, Though Bernie urged his supporters to forget the past and focus on the future, we forget the past at our peril. We cannot forget the triumph of Bernie's campaign and the hunger of the public for an economy that works for working people, not just the billionaires. My campaign offers a real hope for such an economy. Our Green New Deal would create 20 million living wage jobs while solving the climate crisis. Our call to abolish student debt provides relief to tens of millions of young people trapped by the debt for education that failed to produce the jobs they promised. We can finally make health care a human right. It sounds like the only good thing Bernie can say about Hillary is that she's not Donald. That's what most of her supporters like about her. It appears her arguments have struck a chord with the millennials, too, with more and more young voters reportedly flocking to Jill Stein's underdog campaign. Stein, remains, Stein maintains that her near-term viable goal is to reach 15% in national polling, which would give her the chance to stand alongside Clinton and Trump in national televised debates. It remains to be seen if Green Party's Jill Stein could have a major impact this autumn, but if there was ever a presidential race where the two leading candidates could be defeated on the wave of an incredible third-party run, this could be it. And this next story is also from Inquisitor.com, and this is by Don Papel. Some Bernie Sanders supporters are calling Senator Sanders a sellout for endorsing Clinton. Some saw the White House as the primary end goal. Some say that Sanders' all-strings-attached endorsement of the establishment candidate means that he was conning us the whole time. If that's the case, his con job started before last summer. His con job started in the early 1960s when he began his intricate web of deceit as a civil rights protest organizer for the Congress of Racial Equality and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Perhaps the most clever of his manipulations was 25 years ago when Bernie spoke against the Gulf War before a near-empty Congress. Sure, his co-workers ignored him for years. Americans barely recognized his existence. But now, less than two weeks before the 2016 Democratic National Convention, the joke is on us, right? He probably thought he was pretty clever in his apparently carefully devised long-term plan to sell out the American public when he alone stood up to Alan Greenspan 13 years ago as the powerful chairman of the Federal Reserve smugly glared back at him in mockery, right? 
We were all played the fool when the so-called conniving 74-year-old senator from Vermont dashed around the country, wearing the same suit at multiple events each day, imploring us to stand up and fight for ourselves in our own best interests, all the while. He was part of the establishment waiting to sell us out and deliver us to Clinton on a $27 Tupperware platter. Right? All this talk of Bernie selling out or conning the public is ridiculous. Complain all you want that it appears that at this juncture, as though he won't run independently. But he didn't just orchestrate the best pro-establishment hoax of our time, and he certainly didn't sell out. Unless trading a stipulated endorsement for the most progressive platform in democratic history is a new definition of selling out. The media wasn't giving Senator Sanders much coverage last year when he started his campaign, but when Sanders declared his presidential intentions, the issues took supreme precedence over his own presidency. In May of 2015, Bernie stood on the shore of Lake Champlain and made a campaign promise. Quote, Here is my promise to you for this campaign. Not only will I fight to protect the working families of this country, but we're going to build a movement of millions of Americans who are prepared to stand up and fight back. As Sanders announced his intention for his presidential campaign, he was up front. Quote, Let's be clear, this campaign is not about Bernie Sanders. This campaign is about the needs of the American people and the ideas and proposals that effectively address those needs. This is not about Bernie Sanders, the gentleman from Vermont said to a mere 1,000 people in June 2015, a month after announcing his presidential bid. Quote, the only way we win and transform America is when millions of people stand up as you're doing today and say enough is enough. This country belongs to all of us and not a handful of billionaires. The fight ahead, he told the tiny crowd, which was considered impressive for such a fringe candidate at the time, quote, is about you. A month later, he drew a crowd of nearly 10,000 with his message meant to include millions of us meant to incite millions of us to take our nation back. Quote, This campaign is not about Bernie Sanders. It's not about Hillary Clinton. It's not about anyone else. It's about you, Sanders said again in Madison, Wisconsin. That was the night that CNN declared that Sanders, quote, long shot campaign got real. Yes, on Tuesday, Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton. He endorsed her after the number of pledged delegates coupled with the number of superdelegates indicated that the former Secretary of State would win enough total delegates to earn her the nomination during the first round of voting at the convention. Maybe if more people had signed the Bernie or Bust pledge, we could have twisted his arm enough to convince him to run as a third-party candidate. But he always promised he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't play a spoiler. He always said that he would not help a Republican get into the White House. But instead of blasting and disavowing Bernie, his angry supporters could always try joining those trying to convince him that the only way to beat Trump is if he runs independently. It should be noted that Senator Sanders did not tell any of his supporters what to do. He told his supporters what his campaign's job has become, given that Hillary's superdelegates aren't budging and that he was unable to close the pledge delegate gap more significantly than he had hoped. 
Quote, our job now is to see that platform implemented by a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House, and a Hillary Clinton president, and I am going to do everything I can to make that happen. The issue with so many Bernie supporters is that we came so much closer than any of us once believed possible to getting our man into the White House. It's a hard pill to swallow, knowing that if any one of the DNC rules had been different, we might have acquired the 2,383 pledge delegates needed to win the nomination. It's excruciatingly frustrating knowing that if all primaries had been open, if there hadn't been a media blackout, or even if the media had reported truthfully from the start, we could have won the nomination. Bernie admitted that as it stands, he can't win the presidency, but even still, he did not suspend his campaign. In fact, he called them in conference calls after the endorsement to ask them to make it to the convention and participate in the roll call as delegates for him. Quote, this campaign is not about Bernie Sanders. It's not about Hillary Clinton. It's not about anyone else. It's about you, Sanders said last summer. Why are we suggesting he betrayed us by insisting on Tuesday, as he always has, that this is our movement? Bernie Sanders is no sellout. A sellout betrays a cause for personal advancement. Bernie engaged in politics against the establishment for us and won us the promise of almost every end goal he had been fighting for since before many of his supporters were even aware there was a problem. And this piece was posted on Facebook by Joel Reimer. It's R-H-Y-M-E-R. Dear white people of Facebook, shut up for a moment, okay? Like you, I've been disheartened by and upset by recent events. Thanks for all the good-hearted and well-meaning advice on how to act, especially around the police. But please don't tell me anymore that all lives matter when someone says black lives matter. I think nearly everyone, at least the people I know, love police officers and respect the dangerous job they do. And everyone agrees that all lives do matter, including blue ones. But here's the thing. You see, I'm a 54-year-old white male of a certain physical stature and economic status. I'm six foot seven and I weigh about 235 pounds. I live comfortably in the middle class, safe and secure in my home, and I never have to want for much of anything. I get plenty to eat, I have great health care through my steady job, and I have the luxury of free time where I can exercise or play on Facebook. I get just about everything I ask for. More importantly, people don't mess with me. As an adult, I've never felt threatened for my safety anywhere, even on the most rugged or dark city streets. I'm not saying my life is perfect. Airplane seats really suck for me. And I feel sorry for myself having to pay for extra legroom all the time. Strangers notice my height and always ask, quote, How's the weather up there? Or how tall are you really? I do occasionally worry about my investments and retirement savings because they aren't as great as I'd like them to be. 
That money seems like it's going somewhere else unfairly. Like into the cruisers I see in Dennis Harbor or the yachts in Coral Bay when I go on vacation. And that frustrates me. But for the most part, I have a pretty damn easy life. To me, it feels like I've worked pretty hard to get to where I am. I paid my dues, and I like to think I deserve what I've got. But in reality, I was born with certain advantages that have made my nice, safe life possible. Hell, I even have a name that sounds white. It gets my phone calls and emails returned right away. And if you think about it, the same goes for most of you too, my white friends. I've been stopped by the police plenty of times over the years. Twice I've been in cars that have crossed a double yellow line and forced an approaching cop car off the side of the road. One of those times I was driving and I was annoyed with a slow driver in front of me. The other time I was 17 years old and riding with a drunken friend at high speed. In that instance, he scattered some metal trash cans and ended up in the bushes of someone's yard. The cops had to jump the curb to avoid us. Pretty aggressive and outrageous behavior on our part, I think. But in both instances, the reaction from the police was a chuckle and a warning not to do it again. I've been pulled over for speeding more times than I remember. I've gotten stopped for missing headlights and taillights many times. And I even drove around with an expired inspection sticker for a couple of months many years ago. With one exception, every time I've gotten pulled over, I've gotten off with a warning. Sometimes written but mostly just a verbal. Okay. Male cops, female cops, white cops, black cops, big city cops, rural deputies, always the same reaction. Only once have I received a ticket. For going nearly a hundred and zooming up behind an unmarked state patrolman. But I paid the fine and basically forgot about it. 35 years later, it hardly matters at all. I'm not saying that all cops are the same. And I do recognize that I've been lucky, but I think I've gotten away with a lot because of who I am and what I look like. For the most part, no one is trying to take things away from me. No one threatens me. No one questions me. No one says no to me, even the cops. It's a white male heterosexual air of physical, economic, and social respectability that I have neither fully earned or fully deserved in my life. But it's like this force field of protection I carry with me wherever I go. I am noticed and treated with respect because of this body I own, friends and strangers alike. Would I get the same treatment if I were different? It makes me wonder. When someone says Black Lives Matter, I don't interpret that as someone saying kill the cops or Black Lives Matter more than your life or a cop's life. I don't sense anyone wanting to belittle me. What I hear instead is a plea for the recognition that, like me, they matter too. They're reminding the world that they deserve the same rights and privileges that I have. We've all grown up being told that it's a principle of justice that our forefathers founded our society and nation on. Throughout our history, countless people have fought and died for that ideal. And it's something we still seem to value greatly today. But it's a shame that in the year 2016... We say all lives matter, but we don't live our lives in a way that all lives matter. You see, when you say it as an immediate response to another comment, the listener hears and thinks something we already understand. The white male heterosexual lives matter. 
And throughout the history of the world, they have always mattered more to those in power, more than black lives, more than female lives, more than queer lives, more than the elderly and the homeless, and so on. And honestly, we don't need really to tell anyone that anymore. As white guys, we've all had more than ample time to speak and make our lives matter. Give someone else a turn. Where do we begin to change? Maybe we should think about some big issues. What are we really asking our police to do? Can we do away with prisons for profit so there's no longer a motivation to incarcerate people to feed the bottom line? Can we end the war on drugs so people don't fear the cops so much? How about we get all the weapons off the streets so the cops aren't so afraid for their lives? What's really fair for these people who selflessly devote their lives to protecting us? Instead of just offering hugs and handshakes, could we start by making cops' lives truly matter too? By making things better for them where they work? Where's our leaders when we really need them? I have a nephew who's a good cop, and I often wonder how his mother, father, and wife sleep when he's on patrol. I could go on. But first, how about we start with the next person we meet, whoever they are. Recognize them by something deeper than skin color or gender their economic status, or how their name sounds? What aspect of your life, your privilege, can you share with them to build them up? And when they say Black Lives Matter, realize that they're not wanting to take anything away from you. Suck it up. Your feelings won't be hurt for too long. Just keep your mouth closed, listen, step aside, and stand behind them. Help them get noticed in a way you are used to especially if they are a young person. Let them speak fully without responding unless you are asked, and only if you can do so respectfully. Start making Black Lives Matter, then you can truly start to say that all lives matter. Thanks. You can go back to posting photos of babies and kittens now, but no more sunsets, please. I'm tired of sunsets. And along the same lines of that piece that I came across was another piece, a poetry slam piece by a young man named Royce Mann, and it is called White Boy Privilege, and that's what we will go out with this episode. If you want to reach out to me, go ahead and send a Message to BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. Thanks for listening. But the next vote up is Roisman. Dear everyone who isn't a middle or upper class white boy, I'm sorry. 
I have started life at the top of a ladder while you were born on the first rung. I say now that I would change places with you in an instant, but if given the opportunity, would I? Probably not, because to be honest, being privileged is awesome. I'm not saying that you and me on different rungs of the ladder is how I want it to stay. I'm not saying that any part of me has for a moment even liked it that way. I'm just saying that I fucking love being privileged and I'm not ready to give that away. I love it because I can say fucking and not one of you is attributing that to the fact that everyone of my skin color has a dirty mouth. I love it because I don't have to spend an hour every morning putting on makeup to meet other people's standards. I love it because I can worry about what kind of food is on my plate instead of whether or not there will be food on my plate. I love it because when I see a police officer, I see someone who's on my side. <coughs> to be honest, I'm scared of what it would be like if I wasn't on the top rung, if the tables were turned and I didn't have my white boy privilege safety blankie to protect me. If I lived a life lit by what I lack, not what I have. If I lived a life in which when I failed, the world would say, told you so. If I lived the life that you live. When I was born, I had a success story already written for me. You, you were given a pen and no paper. I've always felt that that's unfair, but I've never dared to speak up because I've been too scared. Well, now I realize that there's enough blankie to be shared. Everyone should have the privileges that I have. In fact, they should be rights instead. Everyone's story should be written, so all they have to do is get it read. Enough said. No, not enough said. It is embarrassing that we still live in a world in which we judge another person's character by the size of their paycheck, the color of their skin, or the type of chromosomes they have. It is embarrassing that we tell our kids that it is not their personality, but instead those same chromosomes that get to dictate what color clothes they wear and how short they must cut their hair. But most of all, it is embarrassing that we deny this, that we claim to live in an equal country in an equal world. We say that women can vote well, guess what? They can run a country, own a company, and throw a nasty curveball as well. We just don't give them the chance to. I know it wasn't us eighth grade white boys who created this system, but we profit from it every day. We don't notice these privileges, though, because they don't come in the form of things we gain, but rather the lack of injustices that we endure. Because of my gender, I can watch any sport on TV and feel like that could be me one day. Because of my race, I can eat at a fancy restaurant without the waitstaff expecting me to steal the silverware. Thanks to my parents' salary, I go to a school that brings my dreams closer instead of pushing them away. Mm. Dear white boys, I'm not sorry. I don't care if you think the feminists are taking over the world, but the Black Lives Matter movement has gotten a little too strong because that's bullshit. I get that change can be scary, but equality shouldn't be. Hey, white boys, it's time to act like a woman, to be strong and make a difference. It's time to let go of that fear. It's time to take that ladder and turn it into a bridge. <laughs>